Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Batter up. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to A Pot of Their Own. This is episode 136 of A Pot of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Sarovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. So this is the trade deadline extravaganza version of the podcast. Now, um, I feel like it would be more of an extravaganza if the Mets did more things, but we will cover the things that they did do, such as they are. <laughs> um, we already discussed the um, Vogelback Holderman trade um, of of last week. Um, Looking better every minute. <laughs> right. Uh, which, like, I know we discussed at the time that Colin Holderman was a rather, uh, at least I thought, a, a large price to give up for Vogelback, not knowing at the time that he wasn't even a rental. So now I kind of understand it more. But I mean, Vogelbach, since he's become a Met, has raked. And uh, I just saw Vogel- Vogelbach's first home run as a Met in person, and it was a grand slam. And that was very fun. So, that's already paid dividends for the Mets. Uh, we shall see if the other trades that they have done will pay dividends. Uh, one of them has not, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
So since the uh, Vogelbach trade, I feel like we'll go like kind of in timeline order. Um, so before the actual day of the trade deadline, um, but after the Vogelbach trade in that intervening week, uh, the Mets acquired Tyler Naquin um, from the Reds, as well as left-handed relief pitcher Philip Deal. Dial? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I apologize, Philip. I will learn. Um, but, uh, Tyler Naquin's the major piece in that trade that the Mets got. Um, and that was essentially the, um, replacement for Travis Jankowski on the roster as the sort of fourth outfielder type, um, in that trade, they traded, uh, uh, outfielder Hector Rodriguez and right-handed pitcher Jose Acuna from the minor leagues. Um, it's clearly an upgrade on Travis Jankowski as far as offense is concerned, um, Tyler Naquin looked good in this game that I was just at. Um, he's hit a lot of balls hard. Actually, he hasn't gotten that many hits as a Met yet, but he's hit into a lot of hard outs and also gotten hits. Um, and I, he just looks obviously like more competent with the bat than Travis Jankowski ever did. Um, so that's just a way to upgrade sort of the bench. Um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about Tyler Naquin, New York Met so far? I seem somehow fine. I don't know. <laughs> the thought of having like a full opinion about him seems um, extreme, but like, yeah, no, he looks good. I mean, and it's a role that every team needs. It's not a sexy role. Um, and he looks fine doing it. So thumbs up. Yeah. My only thought is he looked like Jerry Bluffins in the dugout. And I thought he was Jerry Bluffins. <laughs> he does kind of have a little bit of a resemblance. That's true. Put Jerry Blevins in the outfield, you cowards. <laughs> oh, my God. But that would take him out of out of his role in the booth where I feel like he has provided a lot of value. He is good. He's a very good analyst. I really enjoy his work at SMY. He's been great. Um. So on the trade deadline day itself, um, the Mets made two moves. Um, they acquired Darren Ruff from the Giants in exchange for who we're going to take a deep breath on this podcast. J.D. Davis. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lynn. <laughs> he was a gapper to a shit week. So Aww. it was perfect. <laughs> Linda's you, in mourning. Um, J.D. Davis, <laughs> Thomas Sapucky, and then prospects Nick Zwack and Carson Seymour. Um, this is the obviously like JD Davis replacement. Uh, they got Daniel Vogelbach as the Dom Smith replacement. DH has been a weakness for the Mets this year, as we've pointed out on podcast many times. Um, the intent of the Mets going into the season was kind of well, Robinson Cano was also in the mix, but we won't talk about that. Um, it was kind of most of the year supposed to be like a Dominic Smith, JD Davis sort of platoon situation. Both players have underperformed this year, so the Mets felt they needed to upgrade. Daniel Vogelbach clearly has already been an upgrade. We'll see what Darren Ruff provides. Um, Vogelbach will be the long side of the platoon in the sense that he will get the most at-bats against right-handed pitching. He should never play against left-handed pitching. He's already taken a couple of at-bats in left against left-handed pitching in like not high-leverage situations, and who they have not looked good. So... Um, it's clear that he is exclusively to be used against right-handed pitching, whereas Dan Ruff is the opposite to be exclusively used against left-handed pitching. Um, in a vacuum, it's fine. Yeah. You it's know, they, sexy again, but like it does it. Does it the does trick. the job. They, they upgraded from what they had. Um, it's fine. I don't have a problem. Unlike, unlike Linda, perhaps I don't have a problem with what they gave up necessarily. Although I am told by people that know a lot more about prospects than I do that Carson Seymour is a guy 
Um, he's really the only guy that can as far on the prospect side, obviously they've given up like, you know, J.D. Davis, Holderman, a couple of guys on the major league side. Um, but Carson Seymour is the only guy on the minor league side that I am told by people that know much more about this stuff than I do is can be described as a dude. Mm. Um, I mean, Thomas Sapucky was once a dude, but I think is probably no longer a dude <laughs> at this oh. stage. Um, we've seen, we've already seen him once this year. He is, he did not do well. I think that, you know, the Mets very soon prior to this trade, the Mets started pitching him out of the bullpen in Syracuse, Sapucky. And I think that is likely how he will be used by the Giants moving forward. Maybe he can make himself into a good relief arm. Um, lefties are always more valuable, um, than righties. Uh, so if he can make himself into a useful lefty reliever, then God bless. Um, I wish him the best of luck. So, yeah. Um, Nick's no, no, guy who was like sort of a scene. He was a senior sign. He's old for his level. He's like 26 years old. I think at this point, which huh, old LOL. He basically would have been Juan Soto's babysitter. Yeah. Um, and, but is, you know, and ha it has shown flashes that people are excited about, but like was ne never had any sort of like pedigree. Um, so I think that, you know, that is, that is what it is. So to me, it's a bit of an overpay for literally Darren Ruff, but eh. <laughs> like it's you not anybody. Find these dudes anywhere. And that's what it took to get this random ass 36 year old. I mean, I think platoon you player. I mean, I think you, if you, if you could get him anywhere, they would have. And it's, I don't know. I, I just feel like they didn't try very hard. I think it's not a, like in terms of looking at the situation and identifying that, like there's a, an, an opportunity for a very productive platoon at DH that to me makes more sense than like splurging on some other, you know, individual who could fill that role. Like it's not, I would love one DH, but for two DHs, like, they're both good at what they do. It does seem like an overpay um, for Darren Ruff, but also like he's a pretty significant upgrade from that left side, you know, against, against lefties. And like, I'll take it. You know, I think on the offense side, you know, I wish they weren't still stuck with big old nothing at catcher, but I feel like they had a huge GH problem and that is largely filled. But the, yeah, they, they, solidified their floor they got yes. some mop and glow they you know shine the floor but it's still the floor they did nothing to raise their ceiling yes that's and correct. you still get walked on the floor <laughs> that's yes. what's gonna happen <laughs> yes um and i think that that's the that's the extent of it or that's the essence of it right is that like yes what the moves that they did do are fine, but they didn't do enough of them. Like they could have gotten yeah. a way better upgrade. They could have gotten Wilson Contreras. They could have gotten JD Martinez. Um, and potentially in addition to JD Martinez, or instead of like either one or the other or both, they were talking to the Red Sox about JD Martinez and Christian Vasquez, um, their Boston's catcher. Um, and I think that it's just like in comparison, I feel like early in the deadline, there was talk about Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. 
later in the deadline, there was talk about Wilson Contreras and David Robertson, and then Christian Vasquez and JD Martinez. And then they ultimately got Darren Ruff and Michael Givens. I just feel like the expectation kept lowering at every step. And it was like, come on. Well, and given you know, it kind of seems like an, ah, oh, fuck, we didn't get a reliever. So quick, somebody gets my in with a minute to go. He's yeah. not available. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Like, I can be- I can buy this, that, that there just wasn't anyone in the system that the Cubs liked that was the right kind of region that they were working with. Like, oh, I can believe that saying. Robertson just wasn't in the cards. But they'd been talking to the Cubs for a while. And it's really disconcerting that they got that close to the deadline and never had any reasonable backup plan. Because to me, I was seeing, you know, we saw like Vogelbach and then Darren Ruff comes in and I was being like, oh, well, that's not exactly what I was hoping for on offense, but it'll do. They must be saving their cards for the pitching. And then it just didn't come together. Well, and like... Epler was saying, oh, the price was too high or whatever. There is no price. This is, you're going for a World Series. There is no price. You should be willing to pay anything. Mark Vientos has no future in this organization. Ronnie Mauricio has no future in this organization. They're blocked. So what are you holding them for? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. It's like the Mets, like, are being precious about, like, Mark Vientos, where it's like, I feel like they've been leaking this whole time that like that the price is too high, the price is too high, and we're not willing to part with prized prospect Mark Vientos. And it's like, you're being so transparent about like this being like a leverage play in the media. Like if Mark Vientos was really that good, guess who'd be DHing for the Mets right now? Mm-hmm. Mark Vientos. <laughs> well, I also, I mean, I look at people at like Mark Vientos and I feel like that if, if the Cubs had been looking for a bat instead of pitching, that would have gotten it done. I feel like, and, and maybe I'm being too generous in my assessment of that one situation, just because of the various like reports coming about. Um, but I do feel like if the Cubs had been looking for a different kind of player, it would have been fine. But the none, but nonetheless, I mean, my problem comes down to the fact that like, okay, so there wasn't a match with the Cubs. There are 28 other teams and half of them were looking to get rid of pitching. So how did they not have the time to find one other team that would accept a slight overpay on a, on a position player in exchange for a good reliever? I mean, that, I I just feel like they, they ran out of time and there's no excuse for that. There really isn't. And like, no excuse for any of it. Like how did you let David Robertson go to the Phillies for a nothing prospect for their 26th best prospect. Now, again, People who like you can just look at lists. And if you're like me, uh, I'm not speaking for anybody else on this podcast. I'm speaking for me. If You're just like talking about me, a person who just like looks at these lists like I have no context for a lot of it. So if you look at like the Phillies 26th best prospect, like I don't know what that means other than like it seems bad that the Mets couldn't top that. Talking to people who know more about this than I do, like he was a riser in the system. And if you ranked 
those prospects today would have been a lot higher than 26. But still, like we're not talking about the level of prospect that the Mets were apparently being very precious about. We're not talking about the level of like Mark Vientos, Ronnie Mauricio, like top five prospects in the system that the Mets were seemingly unwilling to part with for rentals. We're not talking about that level. Maybe we're talking about, I don't know, Calvin Ziegler or whoever, like, I don't know. I don't know enough about the Mets system to like make a comparison to what this this Phillies prospect ended up being. But to me, it really seemed like you really could have gotten that done. I buy that maybe they couldn't have gotten Contreras done without a guy they weren't willing to part with because Contreras didn't end up getting traded to anyone. So fine. But David Robertson did get traded and it wasn't for like a, a world beating prospect by any stretch of the imagination. Syndergaard got traded for a lot better, a lot better um, than Robertson did. The Phillies had a lot better of a deadline than the Mets had. Let's be real about it. They got Mm -hmm. Noah Syndergaard. They got David Robertson. Um, The Braves also improved and they extended Austin Riley. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, I, I guess we should cover like the move that the Mets did do. In addition to Darren Ruff, we, we referenced it, but the Mets did at the last minute acquire Michael Givens from the Cubs in exchange for righty Saul Gonzalez. And again, this is like not a big return for Michael Givens. So it's fine. The Mets didn't have to part with any of their precious prospects that they are hugging so hard. Um, and Givens, I mean, they had... certainly could have done both. Yeah. Gotten <laughs> Givens and a real reliever. Sorry, Givens. Exactly. <laughs> Like, and he's again, not even a lefty. They're one need. Just like Darren Ruff. I do not actually have a problem with this deal. They didn't give up much in it. I don't have a problem with acquiring Michael Givens, despite the fact that I just watched him pitch very poorly in his first Mets outing. But we'll cast that aside. He's had a very good year. He had a two, he has a 2.66 ERA in 40 and two-thirds innings pitched this year for the Cubs. Fine. That's perfectly serviceable. He can be among the like he's probably an upgrade on the Steven Nogasex, the Tommy Hunters, the Yoan Lopez's, the Adonis Medina's uh, insert up and down guy here. He is probably an improvement on those guys. That's perfectly fine. And they didn't have to get much, give up much to give him, get him, but they didn't get a lefty and they didn't get anybody else, not just a lefty, but anybody else. They needed two bullpen arms and one of them should have been a lefty. And it said they got one who wasn't a lefty <laughs> and has terrible splits against lefties. Right, right. Like, Jeez, like Andrew like Chapin was a good right overall there. pitcher. He's bad against the lefties. Like they knew the whole time that that was what they needed the most. There was like, they realized time. like crap. We need to get somebody who is available, and the Cubs probably just sit here take them. There was a flurry of tweets from Mets beat writers at like 5.45 p.m. Eastern, being like the Mets are working on you know getting a left-handed reliever. And they had and this was before 545 p.m., but they had leaked earlier, like maybe like half an hour before that, like, oh, suddenly, you know, they had been leaking the whole week. Mets are not trading top prospects. Mets are not trading top prospects. Prices are too high. We won't do it. And then all of a sudden it was like Mets are willing to talk about Ronnie Mauricio. It's like, great. okay, great. Awesome. Do it. Fine. Whatever. And then. Like 5.45 p.m., it's like the Mets are working on a lefty, and I'm like, okay, okay, they're going to get Givens and a lefty, and then I can feel at least feel fine about this deadline. Because if they get, like, Givens and Chafin, that's fine, and they can give up Mauricio for Chafin, whatever. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, nope, they're done. And I was like, are you kidding me? 
<laughs> well, their yeah. argument was because they didn't want to get like give up like a Pete Crow Armstrong of last year. That trade worked out. That trade was a good trade. They didn't do enough last year. That was the problem. But right. the trade itself was not a bad trade. They're still getting value out of it in Trevor Williams. Exactly. Like, that's the thing that people keep forgetting. I mean, let's okay. Like Pete Crow Armstrong is a top prospect in the Cubs system now, and they may end up, they may end up. I'm not saying that's currently true. They may end up regretting him more than Kellenic in the sense that if he becomes a real guy, then sure. But he's a, he hasn't taken a major league at bat yet. And B the Mets didn't only get Javi Baez in this in that trade. They got Trevor Williams as well. And where would the Mets be this year without Trevor Williams? They would be pretty screwed. Let's be real about that. They and would Javi be pretty Baez screwed. was good last year. It wasn't his fault they missed the playoffs. It was because yeah. they didn't do enough at the deadline. They got the return that they were asking for, for that B. Crow Armstrong trade. It just didn't get them to the playoffs. So it probably maybe meh, wasn't worth it because the 2021 Mets didn't make a playoff run. And the idea of getting Baez and Williams was that they would make a playoff run. But that's not the fault of those players that they got in that trade who have both been good for the Mets. So I don't know. Like, I get I get being like gun shy about it because you got pantsed last time a little bit. But like, are you trying to win the World Series or not? I'm sorry. And like, like you Jake's can't... opting out. He's Scherzer's getting not getting younger. This might be your only year that you have the both of them. Well, that's what and you know, and I'm always like, I'm willing to entertain the possibility that teams treat the Mets differently than other teams. It doesn't. I'm not buying wholesale into that, but it's it's something I'm willing to consider. But then Billy Epler opens his mouth and all that comes out of it is this fri- finance bro bullshit. And, I, and it just seems to totally miss the point. You know, he's talking about like, oh, well, it's about, you know, if it's a 1% upgrade this year and then a 1.5%. But this year is not future years. As of right now, the Mets have a way, 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 way higher chance of winning a title than in any of those other years. And when they're as close as they are, those marginal wins actually count for a lot. Yeah. It's the difference between a wild card and a division spot. It's the difference between a bye week, you know, a a series bye and not a series. Like all of these little tweaks when you are like on the verge of a huge season, it does matter. And I'm just As wondering, to, like, if there are 82 wins in three years, one win isn't going to move the needle on that. I was having literally this exact discussion with a person in the Amazing Avenue comments recently. And like, I'm wondering if Billy Epler has ever taken a statistics class in his life because <laughs> he's talking about, oh, a one percent increase in the World Series odds or whatever. Sure. He's probably right about that. Like whatever upgrades that the Mets could have gotten at the deadline may might only increase their fan graphs World Series odds that we were talking about, you know, recently on the podcast by one percent or so, which when you take in a vacuum doesn't sound like a lot. But if you've ever taken a statistics class, you'll know that the range there is like zero to like 18 percent. No one's above 25 percent in World Series odds. It's not like the range here is zero to 100 percent. And you're talking about raising those odds one percent within that range. You're talking about raising the World Series odds one percent between a zero and 17 to 18 percent range. That gets you from being like maybe the third most likely team to win the World Series to the most likely team to win the world series well also it's the difference between and this is i'm 
about to get real like inside baseball on this one, but like it's a one percentage point increase. Yeah. Whereas like if their original odds were 10%, then it would act and moving up to 11%, then that's actually a 10% increase in the odds. Right. But, like, exactly. Exactly. It's, but it's all, it, but it all comes down to this, like, again, this, this sort of business school kind of talk that just treats the game like, um, like something where you can just eke out a little extra profit here and there. And it's all the same dollars in your pocket at the end. And it it doesn't work that way. There's so much uncertainty in baseball that to be on the verge of a season like this, you have to take full advantage of that moment. It's, you know, and if I would say like, if they're the Dodgers and they're here every year, then maybe it doesn't matter as much, but also look at the Dodgers. They are always acquiring guys at the deadline. Always, always. And they have the better system to deal from though. This is true. Well, even the Yankees too, they were like, they're at least a million games in first place. And they even went harder than the Mets. I mean, that's what you have to do. That's how you win baseball. (laughs) You go really hard. Yeah. They, the Mets, the Mets played this set. Like I don't have any issues with the moves they did make, but the Mets went too conservative at this deadline period. Mm -hmm. They went too conservative at this deadline. They needed bare minimum to make me feel okay. Fine. About this deadline. They needed another bullpen piece, preferably a left-handed pitcher. And they did not do that. And they upgraded their offense. Yes. Fine. But they could have upgraded it more for probably not that much. Now, Wilson Contreras might have cost too much, but I don't buy that J.D. Martinez was too costly for them. I simply don't buy that. I don't. The They were leaking that the Red Sox were interested in Dominic Smith and all this stuff like trade. Dominic Smith has no future on this roster. Trade them Dominic Smith and like one prospect. On the roster when he comes off the I.L. right now, he's going to get you're sent you're... down to triple A when he comes yeah. off. the I.L. <laughs> like, come on, man. I just I don't buy it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com easy. Ramp.com easy. R-A-M-P dot easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I think the thing that makes 
this even more infuriating from like what Billy Epler has said perspective is not just like the business bro quotes he is giving, but also the fact that when he made the Vogelbach trade and everyone kind of freaked out about him, including Holderman in that trade, he said, listen, I didn't want to include Holderman in that trade, but I felt like I had to because the relief market is hotter than the bat market. And I think that the relief market will be an easier play than the than getting a bat. And so I felt like I had to jump on getting the bat right away and I can get a reliever. And then he just didn't do enough to improve the bullpen. You can't say that. You can't say, oh, I had to trade Colin Holderman because the relief market's going to play out for us. And I was scared about missing out on a bat. So I had to jump on the bat and trade Colin Holderman. So I, and, and later I'll do the relievers and then not sufficiently improve the bullpen. You can't say that. Well, and also, you know, what, what message is it sending to the clubhouse, too? Like, you know, the, I remember Keith and Ron saying this when they got Cespedes. They're like, it's, um, the front office is sending you a message that we believe in you. We we want, we, we're all in, we're behind you, and, you know, let's all do this together. What, what message is this sending? You're on your own? You're not worth giving up Mark Vientos for? Yeah, like, the bullpen thing. That's is the message you spent to this clubhouse. The bullpen is one of those things that comes up so big in October, and they're just here, like praying that David Peterson settles into it. And or, I guess Tyler McGill. I, mean, I was going to say calling is, like, Tyler McGill an automatic option out of the bullpen when he hasn't thrown a single pitch in relief, and it and we don't work. even know he's healthy. I mean, they yeah. are a good team. Like all they're of very this good. Could be pulled off. It wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, you, I, I hate the idea of rewarding bad choices, you know, and I don't get me wrong. Like, I want all this to work, but really, like, it just, there had to be a better way. So and when like, Soto comes up in the NLCS, you're going to David Peterson in that situation? That's literally, you. it's either David Peterson or Joelle Rodriguez. Those are your choices. Good luck with that. And then like, they bring in Josh Hader. So then what are you going to do? Bunt with Tomas Nito? <laughs> they seem to be okay with bunting with Tomas Nito. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the plan. Once like, I'll tell you to bomb off Peterson, and then the next inning, Tomas Nito has to bunt. A lot of the people that were getting like, you know, all uppity about people who were upset about this trading deadline were all like, oh, you're being so doom and gloom. The Mets are really good. Look at their great record. And I'm like, that's exactly why I'm upset, you guys. Because the Mets are such a damn good baseball team, they have a chance to win the World Series this year because this is the best Mets team I've seen in a really goddamn long time. And I want to win it all. And to to go half ass on this makes it all the more frustrating. Makes it all the more frustrating. Everybody else got better. Now they're not good enough. Well, it's gonna fly forever. Good for you. The reason that they had such a big need in the bullpen was because they half-assed the bullpen in the offseason, too, Mm -hmm. right? They don't seem to value that as an organization. We've said it over and over. They just don't seem to value either, like, signing relievers to big contracts or, like, trading big pieces for bullpen rentals. They just don't seem to value the bullpen as an important asset of a team, and I think that that is a huge misunderstanding of what playoff baseball is about. Huge misunderstanding of it. 
And I think you know, they're still a good team. They're the best team since 2006 and it's not close. Um, and they're almost certainly going to make it to the postseason. probably 50, 50 going to win the division. I mean, I think that's all, you know, we, we sh- can and should feel happy about where this team is, but we should also be disappointed that, they didn't work harder at it and also be concerned about what comes next because, you know, it's not going to get any easier. I think this is still the best team in the NL East. I mean, obviously we have a big five game series against the Braves coming up. We'll, we'll see how that pans out in the end. Um, I still think that they're going to win the division uh, more likely than not, but this is about building a team to win the world series. This is not just about building a team to make the playoffs. This is about building a team to be successful in the playoffs. And I think the Mets have fallen short of that. Now, can they win the world series anyway? Sure. Worst teams have won the world series than this team. (laughs) Cardinals. 2019 nationals, but it's about, it's about making your odds as good as possible. And the Mets just simply didn't do that. So, I they mean, made the it Padres harder on themselves. Literally everybody. Yeah, it's just it's. Very and like now the the lines are out the door because Soto was making his debut today. There's no excitement around around there. That's not that's not the Mets. Linda, the Mets made a big trade deadline acquisition, and his name is Jacob Degrom. <laughs> <laughs> and Trevor May. And, and Trevor, Trevor May, don't, and, and James McCann. Can't forget about James McCann. And James McCann. No matter how much we try. Listen, I mean, all these things that people are saying, because like that line has been repeated over and over. Let's not just talk about what Billy Epler is saying to the media and things like that. Let's talk about how the vast majority of Mets run of Mets media and baseball media are carrying water and regurgitating these lines that Jacob deGrom is just like a trade deadline acquisition. It was literally a meme and they just regurgitated that line at face value. <laughs> um, I, credit to Tim Britton of The Athletic, by the way, because he wrote a piece that basically was very critical and said that the Mets were too conservative at the deadline. So thank you, Tim. Thank you for Actually, at least one John reporter Heyman being. John today too, and I don't want to give John Heyman credit <sighs> I don't say thank like, you to look, anyone being honest about this. The, the Mets, you know, he he is a spectacular addition to the team. And the Mets are incredibly lucky to have him because really, like, he is, though not a trade acquisition, the only reason they are still the best team in the NL East. Because yes. at this point, if they if he hadn't been coming back, then I would be deeply wondering how much longer they were going to be in that position in the division, because I don't think it's especially close if they didn't get that, that shot in the arm, but that still doesn't, doesn't excuse just, just sleeping on it. And And I mean, like if you want to, if you want to talk about it in deadline terms, like they all seem to be dying to do Jacob deGrom is a, a trade deadline acquisition. He's a rental <laughs> then because he's going to opt out. <laughs> so all the more reason to invest in this team now, this team this year, because this might be the last year of Jacob deGrom. So you better freaking like win it now. <laughs> I hope they win this year because otherwise they are pretty screwed. Now, I mean, 
on the bright side, Jacob DeGrom did return. The Mets lost the game because of their bullpen and, and also because they didn't score off of literally a rookie. But Jacob DeGrom on the bright side looked healthy and he looked good. So that really good. God bless. Like that was that was the biggest victory of all. That was a bigger victory than either of the actual victories they had in that Nat series was that Jacob DeGrom looked good and healthy. Um, so that's just that's just a, an excellent sign. And so, so great to see um, the, the vibes in the ballpark for at least the first five innings of that game before things went epically south were out of control, just like people were standing at every pitch. Like just, it was so great. And he was throwing one Oh two. And it was just like, <laughs> Oh my well, God. I don't know. Allison, you may have missed this being in the ballpark, but SNY didn't cut to commercial. Wow. That's so cool. Taking, it was amazing. It was really, as soon as I realized they were doing it, I was like, damn, they, they know how to take a moment and how lucky are we to have that production team but yeah no so they just broadcast so it just it just stayed on him as he took the mound and like you know panned through the crowd and and that was such an incredible moment I'm so grateful that we got to really really sit back and enjoy it because because the people who who run those broadcasts in SNY love baseball and it really shows know what they're doing they know what they're doing and it was just it was it, it was so good to see him back it was just like it was like a breath of fresh air it was like this is this is what this feels like. I had forgotten what this felt like with Jacob deGrom on the mound, just knowing that you were going to see something amazing. It was just it was so, so good. good. Um, so ha- <laughs> having that moving forward is a priority. Um, and I know that people were upset that he didn't that he came out after the fifth inning, even though he threw 50 something pitches or whatever. But you have to prioritize him being healthy for the postseason. You just can't you can't risk that. So I'm fine with it. Um, I was too much in a mood and didn't watch. Not even <laughs> I don't Jake blame Degrom oh, could save me. <laughs> oh. Um, but this series, I mean, underrated compared to Jacob Degrom. Um, but this series also saw the return of Trevor May literally today, um, Wednesday. Um, so Trevor May pitched his first inning back with the Mets. He looked good. Um, I was nervous about it because so. I don't know if the the broadcast covered this, and I think they talked about it with him after the game. But oh, my goodness gracious, was I terrified because the stadium gun at Nats Park was clocking 87 to 88 mile an hour fastballs for like that (laughs) whole inning. And I was like, I was like, is Trevor May throwing 88? That is not good. And then I I like frantically messaged Amazing Avenue Slack and was like, are these fastballs or all they change ups? And Brian was like, they're change ups. And I was like, the stadium gun has them as fastballs. And apparently they asked him about it after the game. And apparently he was working on his change up during this like first outing. And like he, cause the, the thing that made me nervous that they were fat, they were actually fastballs after all is that he threw them over and over and over. He threw like maybe two actual fastballs the entire inning. And they were like 95. But it was just over and over, like 87, 88, 87, 88. And I was like, I don't like this at all. I mean, he looked fine. Like he struck dudes out like it was fine. But after the game, he was like, yeah, I wanted to like scream. I wanted to step off and scream their change ups. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that is the nice thing about getting back to the majors in a blowout situation. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I was I uh, Michael and I disagreed with this. Like when I saw Trevor May coming in, I was like excited, obviously, because it was nice to like see Trevor May's return in a Mets uniform since he's been out for so long. But I was like, are you really wasting Trevor May's bullets in this like, you know, eight nothing game? And Michael is like, might as well treat it like another rehab start. Like you're facing the literal nationals without Juan Soto uh, or Josh Bell. So that's basically like facing a triple A team. And I was like, fine. But I just feel like it was you know, I'd rather save his bullets for a higher leverage situation, but it's fine. He looked good. And I, I hope that I felt much be. better about it. Um, until Givens almost blew the whole fucking thing oh, and God. they had to get Lugo up in a, what had been a nine run game. Like that's, that was that's awful. Not how you want to start your career. I hope I'm just hoping that it's because Givens took like the red eye or something. It was not yeah. at his sharpest. Um, like, Listen, he has a 2.66. He had a 2.66 ERA heading into this outing for the Cubs. And but it was like a four point something FIP. So take that for what it's worth. Um, Mm -hmm. He might be getting a little lucky. I don't think that he that doesn't mean that I think he sucks and that he's the pitcher that we saw today. Um, he's probably something in between what his ERA says and what we saw today. He is another Addison Reed, which is what I think. We were really hoping for exactly like to, to continue the 2015 analogy, the Mets did the, they did the Wanuribe and Kelly Johnson trades, but they didn't do the Cespedes and Reed trades. <laughs> like, they also, what do they do if Edwin Diaz gets hurt? Duh. They are. Screwed. Oh my God. Why would you say that? I'm just saying he's I mean, their to bullpen. Be, to be fair. I, I think they would be pretty screwed no matter what. They yeah. Do. I mean, listen, I, uh, that's like an, that's a really, really hard thing to come back from. That's like the same thing. Like when Jacob deGrom got hurt, like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't replace, like, like, you can't replace Jacob deGrom. You just can't. And you can't replace Edwin Diaz. You just can't. But you just the, have Me- to hope. the Mets did get Max Scherzer as like a second ace. And so they were able to weather this storm for the most part. And they could have done the same thing in the event of a, an Edwin Diaz injury, God forbid, if they had gotten David Robertson. Is it a massive downgrade over what they had? Yeah. But is it as big of a downgrade as like Seth Lugo closer or Adam Adovino closer? Yeah. Like, or even it's like not. maybe not even an injury. Like, you're playing a five game series with the Braves, there's a double header in there. Edwin Diaz probably is going to be used. What if he's not available one game? Who do you go to then? Ottavino. I mean, Ottavino yeah. the Ottavino is the is the clear setup man in this bullpen and is the clear closer in the event that Edwin Diaz is unavailable. Like he he's been. I mean, he's been unhittable. Like Ottavino has been, been very very good. Um, he's got like a zero point eight ERA in like the past like thirty innings or something. Yeah, he just looks fantastic and has just like gotten better as the season has worn on. Um, And and I've been really lucky that he has. Yeah, right. Uh, But I also think it's what's nice to see is that I think um, as much as like individual decisions are sometimes head scratchers, I feel like Buck has a a long game in all this. He does. And when I think about Adovino, like my first thought is not, oh, my God, his arm is going to fall off. Like, yeah. I think he's been, he's, he's getting plenty of opportunities, but I also, I, it doesn't, 
it doesn't scare me that one of those guys is just going to get driven into the ground. And that's that is also really important looking towards October. Exactly. As infuriating as it can be on an individual game level, for example, in a one to one game, uh, when Jacob DeGrom pitched, the Mets brought in Steven Nogasek and and then they brought in. Uh, How did that go, Allison? It went poorly. Let me just tell you. They, Can I just they ask where was Trevor Williams? He's your long dude. Why wasn't he in the game? Yeah, I don't know. Um, the Mets brought in Steven Nogasek and Yoan Lopez. I think, and I and to go back to the point about like you know load management. Now I I'm not worried about Trevor Williams load management necessarily because Trevor Williams is the long man. He doesn't pitch that often, but he pitches multiple innings when he does pitch. The the whole reason that Buck brought in Steven Nogasek and Yoan Lopez into that game yesterday, yesterday was because he knew they weren't going to be on the roster after the trade deadline. So he used those guys in a high leverage situation, which was not the best managerial move, but it's the best move if you're thinking about the long game because he knew he was just going to burn those guys because they were just going to be off the 25 man, 26 man roster after that. That's what he did. He blew a game on purpose. So you can be mad at him for that. I was pretty mad as a person who was in attendance at that game. I was pretty mad about it. But that's what he's doing here. He's playing the long game. He blew a game on purpose to play the long game because he 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 used two arms he knew were going to be gone. Instead of Trevor Williams, who is going to still be on the roster. Okay, say how often do are you really going to turn to Trevor Williams? He's your long man. I it seems exactly. to me to be such a good opportunity to use him, but and it had been a, it had been a little while. Yeah, he pitched the eighth, I think, like a week or so ago. Yeah, he was yeah, the I, he was the LOL setup man in one of the Marlins. Yeah, no, games. I after Peterson about, blew it against the Yankees, and they tried Williams the next day. I snarked about him about him coming in in that situation. Then he looked fantastic, and I'm and like, he all was right, great. he was great. Yeah, no, make me look stupid. I love this. Yeah, I agree that I, I agree that Williams should have pitched. And honestly, if if not Williams, that I think actually like they ended up bringing in Tommy Hunter eventually. But I actually think Tommy Hunter should have probably pitched instead of Nogasek or lower Yoan Lopez. But those were the guys Buck pitched because those were the guys he knew were going to be off the roster. And lo and behold, they are off the roster now. Um, But nonetheless, uh, despite that, despite that embarrassing loss to the Nationals, which shouldn't have happened. Um, the Mets did rip off a seven game winning streak before yeah, losing that game. Um, and then they won today and the Braves lost today to the Phillies. God bless. Oh, I missed um, it. They lost. Yes, they did lose. Um, uh, Nick Castellanos hit a two run homer. Uh, so that that did happen. Nick Castellanos has been very underwhelming for the Phillies, but at least he came through in this situation against the Braves. So the Mets are currently three and a half games up on the Braves in the NL East as we speak, uh, as we record this on Wednesday night, heading into the essential five game series that they now have with them this week. No pressure guys. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a series. (laughs) It's going to be a hell of a series. I will be at one of the games. That was a great way to play. What's that? Um, so, yeah, that's that's the situation the Mets are in. We're in for a race. The Mets didn't do enough trading deadline, but hopefully it won't matter. <laughs> I mean, maybe they'll lose in the next year. Like, it'll be a Steven Matz's agent situation where Cohen will get so mad that he'll just sign Judge, trade for Otani. <laughs> maybe, but I don't want to play Steven Matz's agent with the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
I'm playing the long game. Oh, like, ugh, whatever. Yeah, um, I have to resign Degrom and Diaz too. Uh, yeah. But um, for our baseball segment this week, we are going to talk about. Um, first, before we get to the other half of the baseball segment, we're going to talk about other notable trades around baseball. We alluded to some of them. Um, we talked about the, I guess we'll cover the NL East, the other NL East contending NL East teams first. Um, we alluded to the fact that the Phillies and the Braves both probably had a better deadline than the Mets, mostly the Phillies who arguably had like one of the best deadlines of any team. Yeah, um, people who are like, oh, the Mets are still way up in the division. That's because the Phillies were bad. The Phillies aren't bad anymore. I I hope that well, they're still thing bad. The Mets but... got all their games with the Phillies out of the way, or like almost all. Of them. Yeah, they did play the Phillies a lot early and don't play them a lot more. Um, but they do play them some. Um, they the Phillies acquired uh, David Robertson, who was a Mets trade target um and they did acquire also noah syndergaard so noah syndergaard in a phillies uniform is going to be extremely strange um and they also acquired edmundo sosa from the cardinals and they acquired brandon marsh from the angels so they had themselves a pretty decent deadline they netted four players and that's pretty darn good um the Braves well, is got Bryce Harper going to be their addition at the deadline. I mean, Bryce Harper, in theory, is going to return at some point, um, which will make that lineup pretty scary. <laughs> and on the downside for all of these players is that they are actually all Phillies now. So, you know, it could go anyway. Yeah. The Braves um, got uh, Robbie Grossman, who was also actually a Mets trade target. The Mets like Robbie Grossman would have been like the thing they did instead of Tyler Naquin, but they did Tyler Naquin. The Braves got Robbie Grossman, uh, a closer, Rossiel Iglesias and uh, starter Jake Odorizzi um, for. uh, But they did trade away a rather like sizable bullpen piece in Will Smith to get Jake Odorizzi. Um, so there's that, but they also acquired, uh, Ihiri Adrianza and they DFA'd Robinson Cano, by the way, when they made all these, uh, all these roster additions. So LOL, he got like four hits for the Braves and like three of them were against the Mets. Um, and, but the major thing that the Braves did actually was not a trade. They extended star third baseman, Austin Riley, um, for like $210 million or something like that. Um, You know, as the Braves seem to always do, they extended one of their stars for like way under market rate. So it's like good for them. Be a pain in our ass for the next 10 years. Yep. So both of the Phillies and the Braves improved a great deal. Um, Obviously, the most notable trade of this entire deadline, um, more so than any trade of any NL East team, uh, although it was a trade away from an NL East team, was that Juan Soto, uh, national superstar, got traded away uh, along with Josh Bell to the Padres for a package of eight players. Um, I mean, that's got to be that that has to be the biggest deadline trade ever right? of all time. Yeah. yeah. The biggest I mean, trade in in baseball history, basically, as far as like the size of the return. Yeah. Yeah. And still um, not enough. It's still not enough. It's Literally still not there enough. There's nothing that will ever be enough, I don't think. No, there's nothing there's that no will enough. be enough. There's nothing the that will be enough. about it. I was like, the only player you could trade for Juan Soto would be Juan Soto. Literally Juan Soto. Um, 
a funny wrinkle that happened during that was that Eric Hosmer was originally in the package back to the Nationals because the Padres, in order to take on the money of Soto and Bell, wanted to trade away money um, to stay under the luxury tax. But Eric Hosmer went full troll mode that I respect so much and exercised his no trade clause. <laughs> Which Why almost didn't they check on that before they? I don't him? know. Yeah, that's the main. Like, what were they thinking? I, mean, I don't I think, know like, why they didn't check, but I'm so happy they didn't because it was incredible content. <laughs> when almost like, I mean, I am I. It really looked for a second there like something, like it wasn't something you could come back from. Like that they that he had killed the whole deal. Yes, <laughs> which would have been like an. I mean, not just a great troll move that you know, we're talking about like the biggest trade ever it would have been the biggest troll move ever it would have been, it would have been hilarious because the Padres traded for Scherzer last year before Phil threw and he went to the Dodgers yep so it would have been that all over literally again. would have been the same thing all over again which would have been so funny but it didn't end up coming to pass I mean Hosmer was not part of the package because he couldn't be um and so he but instead he was like panic traded to the Red Sox to offload his money and then Luke Voigt instead was the major league player uh, sent back to the Nationals because the Nationals needed a first baseman to replace but they Josh sent Bell. To the minors. Yes, they did. That's, that's so much. Which I laughed at and was not expecting. But that was funny. Um, so the Padres, in addition to getting Juan Soto and Josh Bell, also got Josh Hader from the Brewers, which I don't think anyone was expecting. It's like, Brewers, what are you doing exactly? The Brewers definitely do not know what they're doing. The Brewers have no idea what they're doing, I don't think. They traded... So future President David Stearns in charge over there. Uh, they, they traded... So the Brewers traded the only closer that you could even put in the same tier as Edwin Diaz, potentially, uh, for, a, an, uh, for the Padres' closer but is a clear downgrade <laughs> uh, and prospects. Um, well, so that Nelson was Lamette, who then they DFA'd. Who then they DFA'd. That was wild. Like during, literally during the game today, Michael was like, um, the, the Brewers just, uh, D- or the, yeah, the Brewers just DFA'd Dillinson Lamette. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> okay, sure. A little early to be drinking, Brewers. Whatever. I don't know. I don't understand yeah. it. Um, meanwhile, the other notable trades, the Yankees also had a very good trade deadline. Uh, they got Ben Intendi. That was like before the day of the deadline. Um, and then, but then they also got Frankie Montes, Harrison Bader, and a pair of relievers. They did trade away Joey Gallo, who all the Yankees fans hated because he wasn't playing well. But they oh my also God, he had the saddest quote i've ever seen it was in uh it was just an interview where they asked like you know is it it basically said like is it as bad in you know on the streets as it is in the the ballpark and he's like i don't go out much i don't go out in the streets i don't want like he basically like implied that he like doesn't go out because people will yell like he doesn't leave his home which like is a moment to remind everybody please do not ever hassle a baseball player or any human in public because you do not like how well they are playing baseball like jesus christ please don't do that even look, a yankee look Horrible, i'm never gonna like, like rough, i'll just stay quiet when he's a <laughs> um 
but obviously I think most Yankees fans are probably thrilled to be rid of Joey Gallo, but they were not thrilled to part with Jordan Montgomery, who they traded. Um, I think that I think that the Yankees, so the Yankees, like this all happened like right before the deadline. This was in the flurry right before the deadline. The Yankees had been in on Marlins Pablo Lopez. The Marlins kind of went into sell mode because they said that they were listening to everyone not named Sandy Alcantara. The Marlins did actually trade away like two of their bullpen arms uh, to the Jays, I think. Um, yeah. But they so the Yankees were reportedly in on Pablo Lopez and like really trying to close that deal. And I think that they traded Jordan Montgomery because they thought that they were going to get Pablo Lopez and then they didn't get Pablo Lopez. So the Yankees fans were kind of pissed about that. <laughs> so they, they made their rotation sort of worse, although they did get Frankie Montes, who's who's really good. But like they traded another another arm to get him. So it's kind of like, uh, and when I think the plan was to get like two arms. So the Yankees are kind of like, you know, in that situation, but they did get a lot of other good players. So the Yankees are improved. Yeah. That it like, like we, like we said in the earlier in the show, it's like really frustrating. The Mets kind of half, half, half asked this because the Yankees have a way bigger division lead than the Mets have. And they did better at the deadline than the Mets did. The good teams always do. Yep. Like, when was the last time we saw, like, a consistent, you know, strong team hit the deadline, like a good, well-run team that wins a lot? H- how many times have we seen those those kinds of teams just, you know, take it easy at the deadline? Never, because they're always looking to get better and better. Because those those marginal wins matter so much when you're really on the cusp of something big. And I was hoping so much that the Yankees would whiff because Luis Castillo, the most coveted pitching prize at the deadline, went to the Seattle Mariners, which was very cool. And so it was like, oh, that and that's the guy the Yankees really wanted, I think. And so I was like, ha, 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 Yankees whiffed on their guy. But then, of course, being the New York Yankees, they went after the second best guy available and got him instead. Imagine having a backup plan. Imagine that. Imagine. And I know Sandy Alderson used to know how to have backup plans. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Oh, can it's I just say, your... can I just say this, this, that this was such a Sandy Alderson ass deadline. Oh, like, yep. It was clearly 100%. Like, I, I'm going to give Bill, Billy Epler a ton of shit for what he said, because, you know, he said it. But I think that this was like Sandy Alderson pulling the, the puppet strings here. A hundred percent. Look at what Epler has done with Mike Trout. He doesn't have a great track record with this. No, not really. So I'm like, I can't give him the benefit of the doubt either. I can't. But the way that the the way the leaks went down, it was so obviously Sandy stuff. The like, oh, well, the prices are too high. Oh, we might just like 30 minutes, but desperation, 30 minutes before the trade deadline leaking that you might promote Francisco Alvarez. That was so obviously them trying to get the Cubs to blink on Contreras because they were like, oh, look, we don't need a catcher. We swear. Ha ha ha. We'll just promote our top prospect. And then like 30 seconds after the trade deadline, it was like, oh, we're not promoting Francisco Alvarez. Like (laughs) openly admitting that was a lie. (laughs) Well, that's I mean, it's just like and that whole idea of let me sit down and teach you about marginal wins. Yeah, like that was very, and I, I, this is, I think what's frustrating for me about Billy Epler is I feel like he is in one moment, a mouthpiece for Sandy Alderson and in another moment, a mouthpiece for Steve Cohen. 
and that it's just like the angel and the devil on his shoulders like and i don't even know like what is he even doing here like what's his deal i don't know like i said if you were serious you there was there there wouldn't be a price you would have just paid whatever and then you just sign whoever next year. There should be no no price that's out of your range right now if you were actually serious about going for it. I mean, uh, Preller didn't care. He emptied the farm. Yeah, he did. Seriously. I mean, like, would I have traded Francisco Alvarez for a rental? Probably not. But like... No, like maybe Otani next year, Sure. Oh yeah, like you you save those chips, chips being Beatty yeah. and Alvarez. You save those chips for like Awan Soto, Shohei Otani, Rafael Devers, that level of player. Like that's what you're that's what those chips are for. You don't you don't we're not trying to advocate for like trading like Francisco Alvarez for like David Robertson. That that was never gonna be a thing. Or like Trey Mancini. <laughs> yeah, but like they're trying to the the way it's more the way that they were being precious about Mark Vientos that pissed me off the most because it's yes. just like either he's super important to prospect hug and he should have been the DH the whole time or he's not or he's expendable and then you should have just traded him for Wilson Contreras like pick one. Well, the part that really makes me feel like this is a very sandy situation is that I just I it just is impossible to not feel like we're being lied to or I mean, lied yes. to, but it just, it, every single second feels like obfuscation and like, you should be able to do your job without deceiving every minute of every day. Like I get that, like he used to be a lawyer and, you know, and, and there is, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of chess games going on in baseball and you can't, be 100% open with your plan every minute but like it's it's the polar opposite of that it's that every single sentence out of his mouth feels like absolute bullshit and it's just it's just really exhausting and annoying yes I agree um before we move on to um walk off wins there is one more thing I want to mention um, that made yesterday kind of a giant bummer after, you know, the, the trade deadline happened. We had DeGrom, which was like a momentary serotonin, serotonin boost. And then like, obviously that game went very poorly, but then get home from the game and find out that baseball has lost one of its most important figures. And that is Vin Scully. All um, yeah. Vin Scully passed away last night and it was just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, like I know that he was primarily a Dodgers broadcaster but he's just the most important baseball broadcaster of all time and like pretty much one of the most important baseball figures of all time period player broadcaster manager anybody um if you love baseball you have listened to Vin Scully's voice tell stories about your favorite team um and it's just it it sucks it's just like it we lost an icon it's heartbreaking anyway it's really I think to to make a little bit of a Mets connection you know and he has it he didn't say as much but like um Gary Cohen is not Gary Cohen if he doesn't have Vin Scully's um inspiration there like what he the way he kind of turned the turned calling a game into like an art form and not just an art but like an emotionally 
meaningful and intelligent, like just the, the way that we love how Gary Cohen calls a game, like Ben Scully invented that. Yes. And yes. I think that's just, especially for all you kids out there, um, that that's, that wasn't there before Vin Scully made it. Like ultimately what sets baseball apart from a lot of other sports is that you like sit down to watch a ball game and you really feel like you're spending an evening with those broadcasters and they're telling you a story about the game. Um, And that's, that's what Vin Scully did. That's the art he perfected. Yeah. And, um, no one and there's, there's never going to be, any like all your favorite broadcasters were even going beyond like the Gary Keiths and Rons of the world, but like all of the other great broadcasters that, that exist now exist because of Vin, Vin Scully. He's been the inspiration for all of it. Um, because he got his start in radio, I mean, he predated TV, so he had to paint a picture with words, and that was just and he kept it even with TV. That's what he did. And when Gary was even saying in the broadcast today that um it was was really extolling the way he um he would do both yeah at the same time which is truly and i and i know it i've i've witnessed it happen and it's i still cannot wrap my mind around that idea he's like the only one baseball and radio video and radio simultaneously the only one capable of that really to toe the line between saying enough to paint the picture for those listening to the words only and also letting the game breathe and speak for itself in the moments that it needs to for TV. Just he's the only one that's able to toe that line so expertly to be able to do both at the same time. Um, I know that SNY showed it. um, And obviously on a day when I am, I am, not exactly willing to give the Nationals organization any credit for anything, given the fact that they've just traded their franchise player in the most cynical, horrible way possible. Um, but I will give them credit for the Vince Scully tribute they did before the game today because it was very good. Um, definitely made me like made my <laughs> made, made me choke up a little bit. It was very good. Um, and for me too, like, you know, the Fordham alumnus connection too. Like he absolutely he paved the way for so many other broadcasters who have come out of Fordham now. And he literally created like they're they're the he's at the standard. And now that we've had a lot, I mean, Michael Kay is one, but you know, there's been so many others now and again who wouldn't be there if it hadn't been for him. Yeah, so That's very special. R.I.P. to a legend, Vin Scully. Um, but I, I, there was one thing like we, they're always trying to, you know, professors try to like inspire their students, and so we watched one of. It, he was not my my speaker, which I was hoping he would be, or Denzel Washington, and I didn't get either, but I guess he had given a speech one year, so we got to see the tape of him giving the, the commencement speech to the, to the students. And um, the one line that stood out to me was he quoted J.M. Barry and said, God gave us memories so we could have roses in December. And that's what he did. He gave us roses in the in the bad times. And that's that's what he did. And he did it for so, so long. 
And, you know, it's, I saw somebody else tweet that, you know, he just seemed like one of those immortal dudes that just always would be there. And that's kind of what it felt like. There's so many baseball fans, multiple generations of them who have never known like a baseball world without Vin Scully's voice in it. Um, And now we have to kind of figure out what that looks like. So. And I always swore that the Simpsons broadcaster was always based on him because it's clearly it's Hank Azaria doing the voice. (laughs) So whenever the Simpsons had a baseball episode, it was totally based on Vince Colley, the way they drew him, the way way Hank Azaria did his voice. Like it was perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't know if there is like not only a more iconic voice in baseball, but a more iconic voice in sports, period than Vince Scully so um it's sad to lose him but we will always have those roses we will always have those Mm -hmm. highlights that he narrated for so long so at least there's that um but in the meantime um we will end the show this week like we always do with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week baseball related or otherwise Maggie Wigan what is your walk-off win for this week um so Related to my firstborn's eighth birthday, I we were finally dragged kicking and screaming to um, the American Dream Mall water park. Oh my god! And it was awesome, you guys. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I hate how much fun we had in part because it is like <laughs> appallingly expensive. Like Jesus Christ! But um. But it was great. It was uh, so like it's huge. It was indoors. So we didn't have any stress about um, about weather. Um, and, and, you know, the the upside of the the price tag is that like there was no you know, there's no like ride tickets. Once you're in, you're in. Um, and well, we so they're they were open 11 to 7. And the kids are like, I want to stay three hours. I want to stay five hours. And there's no like, I mean, I didn't have my phone on me because it's wet and all that. And so I, at one point I looked at my phone and I was like, wow, I can't believe it's almost three o'clock. And then we went off and had more fun. I was like, guys, sometime soon we'll think about whatever. Uh, The next thing I hear is that they're getting ready to close and I was like that's so weird I really thought they closed at seven but they must close at five no it was 6 40 <laughs> we were there for eight hours we closed the club down like amazing it was real and I think that really kind of says it all that we just got very um sucked into the whole thing and and it was a blast uh Thomas and I rode the did the the slide that starts at like the tippy 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 top like it's not even as high as the ceiling they like built out an extra portion of the ceiling to go higher um and it's a sheer drop you stand in this tube and the floor falls out from under you and five seconds later you're on the ground (laughs) and I can't believe we did it I can't believe he did it he's a kid and he was so and they both the kids were just such ballers about the whole thing it was great everyone had so much fun and i actually feel like we sort of got our money's worth because we were there for eight hours but like yeah. if, Open you know, if you want to do something nice with the fam um or just like i think it, it is definitely i think grown-ups would have a good time there too um you know it's very it's just nice it's 
it was very like well run. Um, when one of my children got a little overly ambitious, the lifeguards were right there. Um, and that happened very quickly. So yay. Um, and you know, they got food and you can get other, you can get like locker rentals and buy this and that. Like it, it's, it's a nice, it was a really nice spot. And, um, you know, a celebration for Thomas's birthday. It was very long awaited and I had a really good time. So yeah, good stuff. Well, I'm glad that the place that took so long to build, it became a meme is, is actually worth it in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Linda Cervich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Can you just skip me? I don't have one. <laughs> you can, you, we can skip you. That's fine. Um, I abstain. So, so um, my walk-off win for this week is that um, Thomas Henderson and Jack McClune, two fellow Amazing Avenue writers, um, came down to visit Michael and I this week um, to see the Mets and the Nationals, uh, to see Max Scherzer on Monday and Jake DeGrom the following day. Um, and they came on Saturday. So we kind of had like a little bit of the weekend before the games, um, to just hang out and do DC things. Um, we, we had a fantastic time. Um, and it was just really, really nice to have them here, um, and get to go to games together. Uh, it was, it was really fun, even though they only won one of the two games, but it was still, awesome to see jake's return you can only see that once so that was really great um yeah it was just a really fun weekend all around took them around the capitol grounds we we did a lot of walking um to and from the games we played video games we got drunk and watched glee it was just fantastic (laughs) it was it was a great weekend um and it was a pleasure having thomas and jack here they should come down more um so yeah, that does it for the show this week. Um, you can go to amazingavenue.com, check out all of our fantastic content. Uh, we have all the trade analysis for you over at Amazing Avenue of the deadline. You don't just have to take like our words for it. You can read more words of others about uh, the Mets trade deadline. Um, we've got weekly meters. We've got game recaps. We've got daily news posts, all of that for you. You can follow Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter at a pot of their own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servage. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro to this mu- uh, to this podcast, the original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go mess. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasts.